Go get your Bibles out. And I want to start sharing a word with you. Go to Proverbs 23, 17. I actually started this message Wednesday night, but now I've kind of changed it up. Well, I didn't change it up. The Lord changed it up on me. And so I just want to, I want to talk to you. The title of this message is Three Stages of the Christian Life. Three Stages of the Christian Life. And so, you know, I, I want to share this with you all because this is the whole my message. I'm, I'm trying to get it all turned around to where I just get in one, one real home run point with you, okay, before you start thinking about lunch or something else. You know, I live my life. Well, let me change. And before I got saved, before I met Jesus, I lived my life to do what Robert Richards wanted to do, okay? The dreams, the goals, the things that I had, any aspirations I had were all focused upon me and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish and where I wanted to be and this kind of stuff, okay? And there's nothing wrong with setting goals, okay? But I want to show you in this message something about how you should, how you should do it right. But then when I met Jesus, when I came to that, that moment where where Jesus became real to me, everything in my life changed because all of a sudden then my goal changed, my focus changed. All of a sudden I realized that there was a hereafter. I realized that I wasn't, that what I was doing for on this earth to live on this earth to accomplish things on this earth was not going to have any eternal value, that I needed to be living for heaven, not earth. Hello? Are you all with me? We got a world today of people out there that are just going and, and doing whatever they're doing, but they're all living for themselves. They're living for their own focus, their own goal, their own accomplishment. That's what they're doing. They're self-centered, and, and they're not thinking about eternity. Hello? We have people today that just feel that they're entitled. I don't know why they feel that they're entitled, but they feel that they're entitled, that everything should be given to them. Life should be easy. Everything should just work. They should just, you know, go into some sort of a socialist system where everything's taken care of, and that's just the way it should be. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, you've got to change your whole focus, and you've got to start living for the eternal life, not for this earth life, all right? And there's three stages as a Christian uh, you're going you're gonna to walk through. Now, Proverbs 23, 17 says, Don't let your heart envy sinners. Be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the days of your life, for surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. So, so if a person... How sad it is if a person doesn't believe in eternity, doesn't believe in heaven, doesn't believe that there is a hereafter, that they're just going to go and they're going to live their life, and then when they die, that's the end of it. Well, then why wouldn't that person be self-centered and selfish and trying to accomplish everything that they possibly could for themselves, right? Why not? You'd want to live. You'd want to have every enjoyment and pleasure out of every day of your life because you wouldn't want to put up with anybody, do anything for anybody. Just, just, it's just me, 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 me. Hello? Because you don't believe there's a hereafter. But I'm here today to tell you there is a hereafter. I'm here today to tell you that the Bible is true. I'm here today to tell you I read the end of it. Jesus wins. The devil loses. He's coming back. He's real. And you need to get yourself right with him. Okay? But... If you don't have faith in eternity, you don't have any faith in eternity. See, I know, I know as well as I'm staring at y'all today, I know one day I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I'm not scared to stand before Jesus. I'm not saying I did it all right. I just know he's got me covered and he loves me. 
And I may have made some mistakes and I may have some tears weeping of things that I didn't do right. But I know in the end it's all going to work out. I'm not getting thrown out. I'm not going to hell. I'm staying in heaven. Hello? And so that brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> Makes me feel happy. When the days are going rough, I say, well, devil, you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. That's all I can tell you. All right? So this, this uh, walk that we're in here on this earth, okay, you know, God said, hey, you're not going to make it. I want to send you the Holy Spirit to help you. And I've been preaching for months about the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to help you. I'm going to help and give him, uh, get him down here with you to help you do it because we're going to fall. We're going to make mistakes. Amen? So now go to the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 18. Luke 4, 18. Now, so God said, I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Now, I just want to show you four things here about the Holy Spirit. In Luke 4, 18, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Everybody say, upon me. Okay, Jesus, this first message he preached, he preached it out of Isaiah 63. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. All right? You notice he says, upon me. Right? So the first place the Holy Ghost got was upon you. It's like putting your jacket on. He got upon you. All right? Now, look down at, look over here at verse, go to 1 Corinthians 3, 16. I'm going kind of fast here because you can go back and listen to this. I pre-shared a bunch of this on Wednesday night, but I'm going kind of fast because I want to get to my other point. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Did you not know that you're the temple of God and the Spirit of God dwells in you? So wait a minute. That's not the same as upon you. That's in you. Everybody say in me. So there's a progression here. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon you, and he said when he comes upon you, you'll set the captives free, do all this kind of stuff. But then he said, you're the temple of God, and I want to fill you. I want to be in you. I want to dwell in you. Right? Okay, let me look at the next one here. Look at Luke 8, 43. The story when Jesus was going down the road and the woman came up and to touch the hem of his garment and she snuck up in the crowd to touch the hem of his garment, right? Remember the story? So it says in verse 43, it says, Now the woman having a flow of blood for 12 years and spent all of her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed by any, came from up behind him, touched the border of his garment. And immediately the flow of blood stopped. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And when all denied it, Peter and those that were with him said, Master, the multitude is thronging and pressing upon you. And you say, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody touched me, for I perceive power has gone out of me. So now, wait a minute. That was upon you, and then it's dwelling in you, but now it's flowing out of you. As a Christian, this is the progression we're supposed to be walking in like. You understand the things of God and you start growing in the things of God and you get the, you get the understanding that, you know, the Holy Spirit's in you, but he's in you for a reason. Not to make you feel good, not to make you feel happy. I mean, that's a part of the package, but he's in you to help somebody else. I told the church Wednesday night, and I'm going to tell you all too, and you can just start making an example of this. This is to, to uh, every day, I, I, I'd like you to just write down, Make a little mark, however you want to keep it. How many people you come in contact with that day? How many people you talk to? How many people you, 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 you know, visit with on the phone? Um, see, greet, say hello. Not just as a car passed you. That don't count. Car passed you and you waved. I mean, that's being friendly. But, but I'm talking about you had some sort of an interaction. You had to, to just mark it down. And you'll be surprised in a week how many people you've actually talked to which that's that many people that the anointing could have flowed out of you into them and blessed them. Hello? And you'll be shocked when you start counting how many people you actually come in contact with. Because we're not here on this earth to just 
do what we want to do. We're here on this earth to do what he wants us to do. And this is the way he wants to do it. The Holy Spirit came on you, went in you. Now he's flowing out of you, right? Now go to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Ephesians 5, 17. It says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is, and do not be drunk with wine, which is in disputation. And speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting one to another. If you go look at that and you study that, it, it says, to, to it, literally it would mean be being filled, like continual flowing, filling, and then coming out, all right? So why would you need to be filled? Because something flowed out. It's a continual filling and flowing. So here again, Holy Spirit came on you, he dwelt in you, he flowed out of you, and you got to keep being filled. This is the whole, this is the whole principle of the, of the kingdom of God or what he wants to do to you because you're affecting and then touching people on this earth. Hello? Okay. So, you say, well, that sounds good, preacher. But the problem is that we have an enemy. And according to 2 Corinthians 4, 3, he wants to hinder you, blind you, get you focused on everything else but this mission your own he wants to get you off track he wants to get you messed up he wants to get you you know uh, whatever however he's going to appeal to you there's some things that aren't going to appeal to you but may appeal to somebody else he doesn't have the same fishing bait he always uses he's smart he knows what's going to get your goat not somebody else's hello and so the bible says that he wants to continually blind you he wants to keep you from seeing the truth keep you from walking it so I mean, wow, here we are. I just told you what you need to do, and here you're going to flow out to the world. But how many of you know the moment you start doing anything for God, the enemy's going to pop up, and there's going to be issues, and then you're over here mad about this or looking at that or heard something on the radio or somebody called you or something happened, this, that, and the other. Hello? And we always say, oh, God, why is this happening to me? But the truth of the matter is that's the way it works. You're in a battlefield, and the enemy shoots at those that are the most important, Okay? If you don't want to be harassed by the devil, just don't live for Jesus. Just do whatever you want to in the world, and man, you just ain't got no problems at all. Not really, because then everything you do is going to produce death. So either way, you've you got to serve Jesus, okay? So he wants to come and he wants to blind you. So this is the battle that, that we're facing every day, every day, every day. And right now, the battle is fear, okay? That's the big battle in life is fear. You say, well, I'm not scared of anything. Well, but we get annoyed we get annoyed with things that are going on in the world that are fear-based. And every day there's something new on the radio to get you into fear. I mean, you're, if you're not, you know, if it's not disease killing you, it's the, the you know, red dawn's taking place and, and uh, you know, then they're going to go to digital currency and then you're not going to have any money and then they're going to steal all this and then you got to go get the mark of the beast and then, a tattoo and 666 on you, you know. And I'm not real sure about all of that and how that works out, but I'm pretty sure that none of you are going to just go up and say, yeah, I'd like 666 across my forehead. There's got to be something else to it. I mean, we ain't getting tats like that. You know, if they said, if the Antichrist said uh, he's going to tattoo a, uh, an American eagle with a gun in one hand and a knife in the other and says, you want some of this on your chest, we'd say, oh, well, that might be possible. But 666 across the forehead, that doesn't appeal to any of us. <laughs> you know, I did that one time to a poor lady. <clears throat> I'm really getting off here. i got to remember to stay on, fate, on track here. 
lady was concerned about her son was marrying a girl who had a tattoo. and This wasn't in this church. It was off. And she just couldn't believe it. And she said, what do you think about all that? And I said, well, what about me? Do you like me? And she said, yeah, I, I, I think you're a great preacher. And she said, you think I'm anointed? You think well, my word's good? And she said, yeah. I said, I said, I got a tattoo. And she's like, no, you don't. I said, I do. I said, I got a big American eagle right here on my chest. Got a gun in one claw and a knife in the other. I says, you want some of this? And she said, you're joking. I said, no. And I reached like this to undo my shirt and said, oh, God, don't let me see it. And then she said, I get your point, preacher. And then she walked off. She turned back around, looked at me, says, you don't really have that tattoo, do you? Okay, so here we go. I want to show you three things, if I get through it today, three things that you can do that will keep you on this track, all right? That's my three steps in the Christian life here. These are the three steps you can do. If you get hold of what I'm saying to you right now, then you won't be shaken and you won't get distracted. You won't be hoodwinked. You won't be blinded by the devil. And you will keep going on in the progression of being the Holy Spirit upon you, in you, flowing through you and be being filled. Okay? Here it is. Number one. It's what, you, what do you know to be true? Hear what I'm saying here. What is your foundation stone? I want you to go to John chapter 9 verse 13. It's a great story. Remember, Jesus is walking down the street with his disciple, and there's a blind man sitting there. He don't know what's going on. But the disciple stopped and said, who sinned in that this, young, this man was born blind? And so they're just, want, they're just wanting to know. They're just talking about the poor blind guy. He can't see him, right? That's I mean, kind of rude. And they're just talking about And so Jesus said, nobody did anything just so that the glory of God could be. So then <clears throat> Jesus heals him, Right? So pick it up in verse 13, 9, 13. So they brought him who was formerly was blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes, and the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay on my eyes, and I wash, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man's not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. And others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such things? And there was a division among them. And they said to the blind man again, what do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes. He said, well, he's at least a prophet, right? But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him who'd received his sight. And they asked them, saying, is this your son who was born blind? How then does he see? And the parents answered and said, ah, we know that this is our son, but that he was, and he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we don't know. Or who opened his eyes, we don't know. He's of age, ask him. I mean, have you ever heard such a story going on here? These, these old religious devils are just trying to just needle somebody, but everybody's just, you know, like trying to catch a grease pig. But the parents said these things for fear of the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he's Christ, he, they'd put him out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So again, they called the man who was blind, and they said to him, give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. And so he answered, and he said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. He said, look, I don't care what all your religious theology is saying. I don't care what you guys have come up with. I don't care that he healed on the Sabbath and broke your commandments. I don't know. All I know was I was blind and now I can see. 
That is your foundation stone. It's the thing that can't be taken away from you. It's what you know to be true to you. doesn't make any difference what anybody else has said, what anything else is going on. Your foundation stone is that part that cannot be taken from you. You're never going to convince me Jesus isn't real. Woo, man, I met him in a barn. Spirit of God touched my heart, changed my life. You can't take it. That's my foundation. Why do I believe there's a hereafter? Because I met the one who is in the hereafter. You see, you got people going out there, and they're like, they're like going to Baskin Robbins. All the flavors of ice cream are out there. And they might want this one day, and they might want that one day, and they might choose this, and they might choose that. Hello? And they're doing that with their religion. They're choosing whatever they want, whatever suits them, whatever feels good, whatever makes them happy, whatever, you know, this, that, or the other. And they're choosing their churches and they're choosing their denominations based on what is stimulating or makes them feel good. But we don't live like that. We live by the foundation stone in our life. And the Bible says, unless you built upon the rock, it's going to get washed away. It's going to get blown away. It's going to be sand. It's going to fall. So what do you know to be true in your life? Listen to me. What do you know to be true in your life? That's the very root of your existence. You're with me. That's the very root of your existence. There's all kinds of crazy things out there that are negative about Jesus. I don't know if you know this or not, but there is. All kinds of negative things about Jesus. All kinds of things that, you know, disgusting things, right? That ain't my Jesus. That's not who's my foundation stone. Because I was blind and now I can see. So I can't be moved. So that keeps propelling me in life. Not that everything I prayed comes to pass. Not that everybody in church serves Jesus or is is the greatest Christian in the world. Not that I'm the greatest pastor in the world. Not that we have the biggest viewing audience. Not that we gather more money or rescue more orphans. No, no, no. My foundation stone is that I know and who I know who I know I know. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Hello? Yeah, that's what propels you in life. And if you don't have that in your life, then I'm telling you, folks, you can be blinded, hoodwinked, Sand go out from under your feet. You don't have something to stand on. If you can be talked out of the Bible's true. Huh? If you can be talked out of the Bible's true or what's right and wrong. You know, you can call it that come to Jesus moment. You know, when, when, when everything in life changed. You, do you know that moment? Listen to me. Do you know that moment? I'm just asking you. You don't have to, you don't have to give me a date and time. I'm, I'm asking you right now. Look at yourself. Do you know that moment when that year was your come to Jesus moment? That you knew and you know that, man, you are not, whoo, you're not the same because you met the master. Folks, listen to me. That's why Christians falter. I'm telling you, if you're a Christian and then now you don't think you're a Christian, you become an atheist, well, then you never had a come to Jesus moment. Because if you had a come to Jesus moment, you would have had your foundation stone and you couldn't have been moved. Oh, Moses, he had a burning bush experience. Moses was trying to do what was right. Moses knew that down on the inside of him there was something greater than just being Pharaoh's son. And he goes out, and then he's all discouraged, and he sees, but he comes to a burning bush. I mean, folks, that is pretty amazing. The bush is burning, don't get consumed, right? And then the bush is talking to him. So it's a talking burning bush. Changed his life. How about David, little old David? Samuel comes in there and anoints David to be king of Israel. He's just a kid. He's out there taking care of the sheep. His come to Jesus moment was when he killed Goliath. Because you see, before then, it was all, he was just out killing lions and bears for sport, taking care of his father's sheep, just, just 
making songs and singing. But the day he killed Goliath, everything changed. Then he is in that, that his destiny to be the king is starting to come to pass because he killed the giant. Maybe that's you. Maybe you killed a giant in your life. Or how about the Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul just rides his donkey down the road and meets Jesus and bright light shines and knocks him off his donkey. It's like getting thrown off a horse. I'm sorry. I mean, you know, it's not often we have bronc riders in church. and so. But praise God. Paul got knocked off his horse. What happens? He met Jesus. He saw Jesus. And he came from a guy that was going and dragging people out of church, out of churches, out of houses, dragging them out, putting them in prison and killing them. He went from that to blinding his eyes, scales on them, and sitting there wanting to worship Jesus. You see, that's a come to Jesus moment. That's a foundation moment. That's a pivotal moment in life. You're just like that blind man. I don't know I was blind, but now I see. How about, oh, Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? Jesus appears. Thomas, I don't know where he was. He was out. And then all the other disciples seen, right? I mean, you can go read the story over in the book of John 20, but let me just tell it to you. And there he was, and then he, he, he you know, he said, I don't believe it. What do you mean? They said, no, he was here. And they're like, man, I left for a little bit. What have you guys been doing in here? Y'all got a little bit of some stronger wine today or what? He said, I can't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. He said, I wouldn't believe it unless I could put my fingers in the holes. Eight days later, boom. Jesus said, you want to put some fingers in some holes? Come here, big boy. Here, look at this one. And what did Luke do? He had to come to Jesus' moment. But that says something here. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you here. He goes down and he says, do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Here you go. Blessed are those who have not seen, and yet they believe. Folks, that's y'all. Jesus says you got a special blessing just because you're believing in him and you've never seen him. Now, folks, listen to me. You're not going to keep serving Jesus. And the world from this point on, I believe, is going to get worse and it's going to shake worse and it's going to tremble worse and it's going to be more fear and more problems. You're not going to keep serving Jesus if you don't have that moment I'm talking about in your life that you can call it up to me and say, yeah, preacher, I know exactly what you're talking about. You see, my wife over there, sweet thing that she is, I came home one day from before I met Jesus, and I come home one day, and she's sitting on the couch, and she's crying. Well, what guy? You know, we'd only been married about, what, seven, eight years? Something like that? What man wants to come home and find his wife crying? I mean, you automatically know you've bound to have done something. <laughs> And I walked in the house, and she's sitting there crying. And I said, with all my love and sincerity, what's wrong with you? And she looked at me with tears rolling down her face, and she said, he's real. And I said, who's real? And she said, Jesus. And I was like, what? And I said, let me tell you what's real. See, this is a great man of faith I was. I said, let me tell you what's real. I'll tell you what's real. The real is we're going broke. Real is the bank is called the note. Real is we're losing the ranch. The real is we don't have a job. We don't have any money. That is the truth. That's the real. That's what's real. And she just sat there and wept and said, Jesus is really real. And I was like, <laughs> and then months later, I met Jesus in the barn. And I came back and I said, you were right. He is real. And women should give a big applause because, you know, y'all are always right. But you see, that was her come to Jesus moment. 
and you'll never take it from her. You could come in there and say, no, 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 it wasn't, whatever happened, you just were emotional. No, no, no. That was her come to Jesus moment. She had it, something, a reality within her. And folks, I'm telling you, you cannot serve Jesus without knowing you have that moment in your life. You will give up. You will fall short. Now, I want to read, I want you to go 2 Samuel 23, 11. Years ago, I preached a message about Shema and the bean patch. And it's years and years ago. And I don't know if I've ever preached it again. I don't even know if I even still have notes on it or what happened. But that Sunday morning, I was fired up and, and I preached this message. And in the service was a man. And a lot of y'all know who it is, but it was Dr. David Cook. He was here. He came to service that Sunday. And he heard this message. And I want to read, this, I want to read the two verses to you that I was preached on. 2 Samuel 23, 11 and 12. It says, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hagarite, and the Philistines had gathered together in a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils. So the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, killed the Philistines, so that the Lord brought about a great victory. The point being here is that everybody else ran, but Shammah stood in the middle of the field and fought, but God anointed him and blessed him because he would stand there and fought fight even though everybody else ran and he stood in the middle which would seem to be a crazy place to stand so he just stood right in the middle of the bean patch and said this is it either God's for me or I'm dying and he just swung his sword till he killed Philistines on top of Philistines because God said I like that guy and that morning I preached that message and, and Dr. Cook heard that message and God used it twisted it turned it into him to go out and be inspired to do everything that he started doing, making the movie Seven Nights in Utopia, all the books he's written, all the things that have gone on because he heard this word. Now listen to me, it's just a word. But it was anointed that day to touch his heart. And it changed his life and propelled him in his whole ministry in a destiny to go forth that now he's just blessed on top of blessing. His books are amazing. And if you don't know who this is, you need to go look at his website or talk to Tracy and get you a book. But anyway, he's just it propelled him. Why? It was not that I was a great preacher. It was not that I was, you know, I had the razzle-dazzle that morning. It was that the anointing of God, the Spirit of God, used that word to touch him because he was hungry. His heart was open. And when he heard the word, it came into his life and it changed him and set him on a course in life that that's out of that spun all this glory hello it's the same for you and me it's the same anointed word going out you can be a shama in the middle of your bean patch as long as you'll stand your ground and say no lord here i am i'm gonna keep swinging i'm believing in you because this is the foundation i know it's the truth and i will not be shaken god will anoint you and he will deliver you and give you victory amen Woo! come on you gotta know that folks this is we're not playing games anymore Listen to me, if you want to, I mean, today is the most exciting days of our life. We got China and Russia making an agreement with Iran. Woo, come on. Everybody said, oh, that's terrible. That's great. Man, that's even getting closer to fulfilling Ezekiel 38. I'm looking for it. I was like, yeah, somebody shoot something. I mean, I know we're getting closer. I see all these things. They're talking about digital currency. I say, yeah, make it that 666 card. Come on. All these signs of the times, all right? You can either let it discourage you or you can get excited and say, man, Jesus, you're coming back. And when you come back, man, you you come back with a rod of iron. Woo, man, I'm telling you. They're not going to want to see Jesus when he comes back. He's not going to be nice. He's coming back full force. 
The Bible says the wicked aren't going to get away with it. But folks, this is what you've got to have in life. You've got to have this come to Jesus moment. And if you're sitting here this morning and you say, well, I, <laughs> Pastor, I don't know if I have a come to Jesus moment. Well, then today can be your day. Today can be your day before I finish these three points, which I ain't going to do it. But at any point before we finish these three points, you can have your come to Jesus moment. Listen, my come to Jesus moment did not happen in church. I love church. This is where we should be gathered and we should come together in brotherly love and all. And, and get filled with the Spirit and sing and rejoice together. But, man, I had my come to Jesus moment in the barn. My wife's is on the couch. You follow me? It's your heart. Your heart longing to be him. Your heart being a Shema and standing there and saying, look, I ain't running from the Philistines. It says everybody else ran. Do you know how hard that would have been? Everybody's running and you just stop and say, I'm not running anymore. I'm standing here and I'm going to fight for what's mine. Grab your sword. Get your hands on it. Get her ready to go and say, man, here we go, Lord. But then all of a sudden, you're just swinging and cutting and chopping and devils are flying left and right and you're winning victories and this is happening, man. And all of a sudden, you've got these Holy Ghost anointed ninja skills flying around, <laughs> zipping and ripping. And Okay, so that's the first thing. You've got to have a come to Jesus moment. Second, the second is this. Then you have to gain knowledge. Proverbs 1.7. Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. To gain knowledge. You know, what's interesting to me is if you go and you study out church history, it's interesting to me how certain church denominations came about by magnifying something in the scriptures that they just, just twisted a little off. Not real bad. And then made that their focus, and then everybody jumped on board because they were a little different. Right? If every ice cream shop looked exactly the same and had exactly the same flavors in it and exactly everything was exactly the same, then the only thing that would make you go in there if you were looking for ice cream was the closest one to you because you're not going to get anything better at anything else that are all exactly the same. Correct? So you got to be a little different in order to attract. And the crazy thing is people became different getting off the word. And I was like, this is the foundation and knowledge of all truth right here. So why would you want to get off of this? Hello? So we got churches today. Some churches you're told to be quiet in. Some churches you're encouraged to get loud in. Some churches you're encouraged not to move. Other churches you're encouraged to dance. Right? But they all need to be based off the word of truth. But you've got to gain knowledge. And I'm telling you, that the only place you can gain knowledge is the word yourself. For yourself. It is what you know. You can only know it by reading it. You say, wow, that's a new message. I've never heard pastors say that before. Look at, the, look at, look at it, Luke 24, 15. On the, the, the Emmaus Road experience that the two men experienced with Jesus. It says, so while, I'm in verse 15, 24, 15. So it was that while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus drew near to them, and they went with him, but their eyes were restrained. They did not know it was him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answered and said, are you a stranger in Jerusalem? Have you not known the things which have happened in these days? And he said unto them, what things? And they, they said unto him, things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priest and the rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him but we were hoping that he was it, that it was he who was going to redeem Israel 
Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. And yes, certain women from our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came and they said, have you also seen a vision of angels? And he is alive. Then certain of us went to the tomb. They found it was just as a woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, oh, foolish one, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Do you know if you, you go through and you, Jesus, you go through the Gospels, Jesus never made it a hidden secret or anything that he was going to rise from the dead. He told them time and time again. There's multiple places and multiple scriptures where Jesus says, oh, but I'm going to be delivered to you know, the rulers and I'm going to be crucified, but on the third day I'm going to rise again. But nobody caught it. They just dismissed it. And then it happens, exactly as Jesus has said, and then they're all like freaking out. Oh, we thought it was him. And so Jesus said, oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, all that the word said. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And then beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Right? He took the word and he shared the word with them. He took the Bible because why? It's a living word. Listen, when you're going to gain knowledge, I'm just telling you, church, I cannot, I'll say this until I go to heaven. Man, you have to read your Bible. You have to read your Bible in such a place in a way that you want to gain knowledge. You have to read your Bible in such a way that you want to know the truth. You have to sit down systematically all the time and read, 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 and read, and keep going over it. And when you get through reading, read it again. When you finish the chapter, read it again. Hello? And the living word will begin to speak into your heart. That's the only way to gain knowledge. If you do not do this, or if you read with eyes that want to find something and construe it to fit your doctrine, if you read with warpness in your mind and your thoughts and you're trying to get this, and you just don't read the scriptures to read the scriptures, well then, folks, listen to me, you'll get off. But if you notice something, this is what I'm going to pray for you all today. Luke 24, 30, it says, And he came to pass it as he sat at the table with him. He took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to them. Their eyes were open, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. Open eyes. You need to be praying. We have open eyes to see the word, to see Jesus in the word. So you've got this foundation stone in your life, this come to Jesus moment in your life, this thing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. Hello? And then you're going to start to gain knowledge. You're going to start to add knowledge to that. This is how you keep the Holy Ghost flowing through you. Okay, now let me give you the last one. The third one is, you're going to laugh about this one, but you need to learn how to have fellowship with God and man. 1 John 1.3. 1 John 1.3. And that which we have seen, we've heard, we declare to you that you may also have fellowship with us, or truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Joy becomes full when you learn to have fellowship with God. But how can we have fellowship with God when we can't even fellowship with man? Oh, we, can't, we don't know how to have fellowship with man. The only kind of fellowship we have with man is so surface, so, so just, over, just, on the, just on the very surface and, and edge because the problem, the problem in life is that we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable, vulnerable to men because then we'd think it's going to come back on us. So we keep ourselves hidden back because most men would mess up relationships. Now, just because they use the word men doesn't mean women aren't included. Go to John 15, 5. John 15, 5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. That word abides is, a, is an interesting word because it really means to continue or remain, all right? It's not, it's not like an in and an out. It's a constant. It, you're remaining there. 
It's a place where you can always be found. That's what the word abide means. It's a place where you can always be found, where you're remaining. You're not being moved. Too many Christians have Jesus as like, like a church building. You just come in the church building to try to get something that you want, and then you leave the church building and go do what you want. And that's their fellowship with Jesus. If your fellowship with Jesus is only asking him to do something for you, then you don't have a relationship with him. I'm sorry. It's the truth. No, I'm not sorry. I'm just telling you the truth. If you don't like it, you're going to just get over it. If that's Jesus to you, you just have him like in the hip pocket to pull out, right? You just, you, you just pull the Jesus out when you need it and then put the Jesus back in. The rest of the time, you're in charge of doing what you want to. That's not a fellowship. That's not a relationship. That's not abiding. But you see, the problem is this. We're all so messed up in life. We don't really know how to have fellowship with one another. And the reason why is, is because contained in the word fellowship and what fellowship really means is there has to be intimacy. And I don't mean on a sexual relation. I mean there has to be a sharing of something from your heart and the other person sharing from their heart to truly get established in the first stages of fellowship. Okay? And most of the time we don't want to do it because Christians are notorious for prayer meetings turning into gossip meetings. And it's hot up here. I'm just preaching the truth. I'm talking about church as a whole. I'm not just centering y'all out. I'm talking about church as a whole. You know, preachers, sorry dogs, man. How many people have they wounded in life? And so what happens is they're trying to have fellowship. As a surface Christian, you, you are really self-centered. And so if two self-centered people are sitting in a room together, how can you have fellowship? Because I just want you to do what I want you to do, and you just want me to do what you want me to do. How can that be fellowship, right? And so we got like these scriptures, these wild, crazy scriptures like James 5, 16 that says, confess your trespasses to one another. Now, I, I, I'm from this pulpit. I tell you all pretty much everything. I don't, I, I'm not going to sit back. I'm not going to hide. You're not going to ever come up and say, ah, we caught the pastor. I already told you. I mess up. I've already told you. Don't, don't set me up on no pedestal Don't think I got it all figured out. But it's saying that this is a place of intimate fellowship is that where we can sit down with one another and share our faults with one another, not having to sit down with one another and having to like be in pretense that we've got it all worked out and we're doing good and you know we don't want you to know that we're not unless you want to confess first. <laughs> and you're like, oh, okay. But do you notice it says, it says, if you confess your trespasses one to another and pray for one another, that you're, you may be healed. The effective and fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, so I guess not having fellowship hinders our prayers. Now, you do have to choose your friends carefully, but fellowship is a main ingredient to walking with God. Now, I've always been amazed at Christians who, like, are trying to hide something from God, like he didn't know. People say, well, I didn't want to go to church, and you know, I felt guilty, and I didn't you know, want to go to church. I'm like, God's there. I'm like, I don't think he already knew before you ever got to the door, that your heart was wrong, your motives were wrong. You ain't pulling nothing, no wool over his eyes, right? But fellowship has to have this degree of intimacy, and you've got to be, learn how to be intimate with God. And the moment you become intimate with God, and you start to learn to be intimate with God, well, then you can start to be intimate with people because you're learning this relationship with God. I mean, y'all, don't cut me off. I'm helping you here. So you have this foundation stone in your life, right, that you can't be moved off of. You start to gain knowledge, 
But then you learn how to have fellowship with the Father. It's just three stages. It's, it's, each one of them's growth. You may still, you may be at the foundation stone. You just got the foundation stone. I remember, listen to me, folks. So I remember uh, back in the day, there was a pastor named Larry Lee, and he did a prayer book. He says, would you not tarry with me one hour? And I got the book and read the thing, and I remember trying to think about, could I pray for an hour? And I got her already, got all my notes, sat down there, man, and I just, I mean, I just went to whooping and praying. and I mean, it was Finally got through. Man, it's like the longest I've ever prayed in my life. Look down, five minutes. And I'd prayed for the universe. And I was like, man, I want to, you know, how can I pray? For, how could I pray for an hour? Right? And now, you know, 30 years since, I mean, the Lord's saying, Robert, can you get out of the throne and I'm going to let the next one get in? But it takes time to learn these things, right? But I can remember that day. I remember that just like it was yesterday. Sat down there, man, got me a bowl of Cheerios and went to praying. Determined I was going to pray for an hour. Five minutes gone by. I was through. So you have to learn to have fellowship. Hello? But as you start to do this, these three stages of growth, these three stages of your Christian life, you start to walk in them, then you're going to find yourself, the Holy Spirit coming upon you, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, the Holy Spirit flowing through you, and then you being filled to overflowing continually and be a blessing to everybody that's around you. Amen? So how many of you want that? I mean, I want to live like that. Amen? Stand to your feet, please. Those of you on the prayer team, come on down right now. But let me just finish up with this. I gave you a lot of stuff this morning, but listen to me. I want to pray because there may be somebody watching or you may be somebody in here. that you, you. When I'm talking about a foundation stone, you know, you don't really know what I'm talking about. Well, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm talking about meeting Jesus because when you do, that becomes the foundation of your life. Now, the Bible's simple. It says that Jesus wants to meet you. He stands at the door and knocks. It's just, will you open it? Will you open it? That's all there is. Will you open the door? Jesus is knocking. You may not have ever heard him knocking until this morning. You may not have ever heard the knock, but this morning you're hearing it, thumping on your heart. And Jesus is saying, I want you to let me in your life. He said, all you have to do is open the door and ask him to forgive you of your sins, to wash you in his blood and cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and he will. But you've got to open the door. If you're out there right there and, and just listening or watching, just stop what you're doing and just pray and say, Jesus, come into my life. Forgive me. And he'll touch you right there. If you're in the building today, we've got prayer team people up here. That'll pray with you. And I'll help you this day. To know how to open up that door. And you can just come up here. And just say, hey, I, I want to know Jesus like Pastor was talking. And they'll pray with you. And then you'll have that foundation stone in your life. So let me pray for you, church. Father, I just pray over everyone. I pray over everyone here. And I pray over everyone out there listening and watching. That, Lord, this foundation stone would come into their life, you, Jesus. That they would know you, and they would know that they know that they know that they know that, Jesus, you were Lord and Savior of their life. And it would be the foundation stone of their life. Lord, I just praise you, and I ask you today to open our eyes so that we can gain knowledge through your word that your living word would be alive to everyone, that as they just open it up, they would see everything that they need to see. 
And that, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would teach us to be able to walk in fellowship. That we can become intimate with you. So then, we, Lord, we can be intimate with others. Oh, Jesus. Lord, I praise you for that. Just touching people right now. Holy Ghost is touching people right now. So bless them, Lord. Lord, as we go out this week, give us people that come across our path that we can tell the good news about Jesus. Lord, let us be Christians that truly are light in the midst of darkness. And Lord, we give you praise for it. And we thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Now, I want to encourage you about one more thing. Look, if you've got, if your friends with you, then, and, and, and you know, just ask them. Do they, you got a foundation stone in your life? If not, bring them up, up here to the front. But the way to start intimacy is maybe when you all go, go to lunch and you're out talking to somebody, maybe ask that person, hey, what's the foundation stone in your life? Share your testimony with one another. Be a good place to start developing that relationship. Amen? So go and be blessed and bless everybody around you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen.